Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace, and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. This session deals with living by every proceeding word. I entitled it. I had a very lofty, convoluted title. And as we edited it, I realized it needed changing because uh, I realized my mistake sometimes as a communicator is I try to communicate too many things in short phrases. And I realized I need to unbundle sometimes a bit. Okay? And maybe get three or four sentences from the one sentence. Amen? <laughs> and this is uh, something I'm learning. In any case, I think sometimes my mind is so full of things, I want to say them all at once. You know, and then say them all in one, in one sentence. Amen. I think that's why Paul wrote Corinthians, First Corinthians, then Second Corinthians, First Thessalonians. Then there was also there's always always a a need for a second writing. Okay, in our context, we'll have more excellent giving edition one, more excellent giving edition two, etc. Okay, so. Um, let, let, let's proceed. Deuteronomy chapter 8 is a very powerful chapter to read. Um, and I want to encourage you, I'm going to read it together with you tonight. But read it in your spare time. Read it meditatively. Read it slowly. Read it contemplatively. Read it with deep thought. Try and memorize some of the phrases. Churn your heart and mind over and over again in these things. Verse 1. All the commandments that I'm commanding you today shall be, you shall be careful to do. Um, you can just stop there, right? There's a whole sermon right there. Great care must be taken in reference to God's commandments. Care implies the notion of that it, you cannot be blasé, cannot be um, loosely minded about applying biblical truth. God take, God said, very specifically, take great care. Be careful to do. Okay? I'm saying this because in your effort or in your resolve to obey God's word, if you're going to approach it with, um, with loose effort, with fleeting um, engagement, and if your attempts at obeying, and I don't want to use the word attempts, if your expressions at obeying it are going to be fleeting um, cold, casual, inconsistent, periodic, and if you're not going to give like keen, focused attention to your aspects of obedience, you will not develop a lifestyle of obedience. Everyone say great care. So great care, be careful to do all the commandments I'm commanding you today that you may live and multiply. Remember last week we said man does not Live by bread alone, but by every word. This is our spiritual diet. This is our food in the spirit, is the word of the Lord. God is giving laws and commandments to Israel here. And he's saying all the commandments, not some of them, the entirety of them. Don't be selective and eclectic in your choice of obeying certain commandments 
to the neglect of others. God saying, oh, the entirety of the scriptures must be obeyed. Be careful to do. And the result is this, that you might live and multiply. Right? Everyone say live and multiply. Right? That you might live and multiply. And go in and possess the land that is, uh, you can bracket off and you can put their prophetic promise or prophetic destiny. In other words, the land I promised you, you're definitely going to secure. That I swore to give your forefathers. You will remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years. That he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart. Whether you would keep his commandments or not. Okay, I'm going to stop commenting now because let me just read through the scripture. Get the, the impact on because I'm almost tempted to get into the principles immediately. Right? Verse 3. So just go back to verse 2. You were led in the wilderness for 40 years for very specific reasons. From God's perspective. God's perspective is, I led you that way to humble you and to test what was in your, what was in your heart. Whether or not you would obey my commandments. Everyone say obedience. Obedience is going to become a buzzword this year. Obedience, obedience, obedience. If we can but obey, you're going to see the manifestation of God's glory in the midst of us. He humbled you and he let you be hungry. He fed you with manna which you did not know. Nor did your fathers know that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but, by, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. Thus you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you, just as a man disciplines his son. Therefore you shall keep the commandment of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs, flowing forth in valleys and in hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines, of fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you will eat food without scarcity, in which you will not lack anything, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper, the mining industries, right here in this verse. And when you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Beware. Everyone say beware. This is, this is a very strong warning. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments. When is God forgotten? I'll ask you again, when is God forgotten? To disobedience. Every time you disobey, you've forgotten God. Be careful you do not forget the Lord by not keeping His commandments and His ordinances and His statutes, which I am commanding you today. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied and you have built good houses and you lived in them, in other words, you're living in the blessing now, clear indications that God is blessing you. And when your herds and your flocks are multiplied, and your silver and your gold, your financial base is multiplied. And all that you have 
multiplies. Then your heart will become proud. And you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt. Out of the house of slavery. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions. And thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought water for you out from the rock of flint. In the wilderness, he fed you with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, my power and strength, the strength of my hands has made me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord, your God, for it is he who has given you the power to make wealth that he might confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. Verse 19. It shall come about that if you ever forget the Lord your God to go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you today that you will surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so you shall perish because you would not listen to the voice of the Lord your God. Okay, note the following, verse 3. Go back to verse 3 again, it says, just to remind you. He humbled you, he let you be hungry, he fed you with manna, that your fathers did not know to make you understand that man does not live by, by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. If you do not have access to the current speaking of the Lord, and I'll stress this towards the end of this, of, of this, of this lesson, you're living in a realm of death and decay spiritually. Man lives by every proceeding word from God. Failure to hear this word renders one spiritually dead. Now, you must always focus on man lives by every word Man does not just live by every word of God. Correct phrasing is, man does not live by every word that, keyword is, proceeds. So you've got to access a proceeding word. A proceeding word is a word that is currently emitting from the mouth of God. A fresh um, now word, a now word, okay? And I'll talk more to this at another lesson, but and also towards the end of tonight. Amen. Verse 11, um, we've just said, let's just read it again, that beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments, His ordinances, and His statutes. And I wrote in your note, God is forgotten when His principles are no longer adhered to. Right? God is forgotten when His principles are no longer adhered to. So, you forget the Lord by not keeping His commandments. God said certain things, issued principles, precepts, statutes, ordinances by, by which you should live. And listen carefully, when you choose not to live by what he said, what you've just done, you affected God out of your mind. Now that's dangerous. I want to say it again because we don't think of it like this, not so. We think disobedience is simply an act of, of, of failing God. But what you've deliberately done, you have forgotten the Lord your God. God had been factored or marginalized. You've, you've sidestepped God, if you would. 
and you've chosen to ignore him. In other words, you haven't given him prominence in terms, or dominance rather, I would say, because he must dominate our lives, not so? You haven't given him the prominence, the preeminence, the dominance that you should afford him by heeding his command. So, if I do not love someone or do not forgive my brother that has hurt me, and I choose to hold a grudge, guess what? I have just forgotten God. I affected God's way of dealing with the issue out of my mind, and I've opted to do it my way. Amen? Every time you disobey, you choose to deliberately forget God. Hmm? Now that's a frightening thought right there. Right? I don't want to ever forget the Lord, my God. Okay? So I want to encourage us, don't forget the Lord. Disobedience to His principles results in part, listen carefully, from a disestimation of the seriousness and the weight of His speaking. Right? If you do not obey God's commandments, you do not love Him enough. How is your love for God tested? What did Jesus say? If you love me, do what? Do my word. Keep my commandments. Your, 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 even John is awash. The letters of John are awash with, with, with this current refrain. You love me, you do my word. You love me, you keep my commandments. Right? Now, every time therefore you disobey, you've just provided evidence that either you don't love God or you don't love Him enough. Right? Your love for God is only demonstrated by a, an obedience to His Word. Every time you disobey His Word, you've demonstrated the fact that you've literally factored Him out of your thinking. You have forgotten Him. Why do you do that? Why do you choose to go your own way and neglect God's way? I wrote here, in part, and I saw there are many reasons for this, but in part, I think probably the main reason is it results from a disestimation. Just underline that word. You've disesteemed, in other words, um, if, if I say to somebody, uh, do this, right? And the person goes their own way and they do that. It tells me they don't hold me honorable enough to obey what I've just said to them. Disobedience speaks of a disestimation of the person. If God says to you, do this, and you disobey, you've forgotten God. Why? Because in your mind, you do not esteem Him honorable enough for you to give weight and worth to his speaking. His word. Okay? If tomorrow, uh, let's say Quinton, next month, your new principal, says to you, I want to, Mr. Adams, report to my office immediately, please. I want to see you. Second break. Second break comes. Do you say, ah, nonsense, I'll do my own thing. Why do you obey? You obey because you, are, you esteem honor to the person that issued the instruction. Every time you disobey God, you demonstrate you a, lack of dis, a lack of honor or you disesteem him. You diss him. For want of a colloquial. <laughs> okay. Right? So every time you obey, 
you demonstrate your honor and your love for him. Okay? You demonstrate your honor and your, your great love for the Lord. Now, how many people love God? Do you honor him in your mind? So every time he issues instruction, do not factor him out by being disobedient. So next time you repent because of your disobedience, say, God, sorry I forgot you. Sorry that you didn't feature. Sorry that you said something. I did not give you honor by according weight to your voice. Now, listen carefully. Let's have a look at this. I couldn't get away in my preparation from this fact. Giving honor to the voice. Everyone say the voice. So when the, God speaks to you, how much sort of uh, respect do you attach to his speaking to his word? Hebrews 12, 25 says, see to it. I should underline that. I should have made that bold. If the Bible says you must see to it, you must see to it. Hmm? See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not escape that refused him, who warn them on earth, much less will we escape, who turn away from him, who warns from heaven. His voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And let me ask you this, is God's voice shaking the earth right now? There are systems, there are economies, there are geographical, geomorphological climatological phenomena literally moving at the voice of him that speaks god's voice is shaking things he's shaking both the heavens he's shaking nations he's shaking governments he's shaking economies right now listen carefully his voice shook the earth now you shake the heaven and the earth verse 27 this expression yet once more denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as are created things so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain therefore since we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude. Other versions say, let us have grace. By which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and fear. For our God is what? Our God is a consuming. Please bold and underline the words reverence and fear. So these words, what do these words, images conjure up in your mind? Now, and the image that the writer of the book of Hebrews is presenting to us of God, yeah, he says, our God is what? Our God's a consuming fire. Let's serve him, not carte blanche. Let's serve him with reverence, with, with deep honor, with reverence and fear. And what's the context of the call to fear? The context of the call to fear in this verse is the fact that someone is speaking. Someone speaks, and when he speaks, things move. He shakes systems, he shakes the heavens, he shakes the earth. Please put a, a reference here. I'm just thinking of this now. I don't have it in your notes, but it's in Isaiah. I'll give it the reference to Isaiah 9 or Isaiah 6. Remember when Isaiah saw the Lord? High and lifted up. And remember, he saw the seraphim saying, holy, holy, holy. And he was undone. And the Bible says, the, the voice, say the voice. A voice spoke from the throne. I'll give you the reference. Don't turn to it because of time. Where it says, the voice of him. And the post moved at the voice of him that spoke. I know it's in Isaiah 6 somewhere. 6 4. 
Oh, yes, it's yes. Sorry, I've got a different version, so I'm looking for the old, test, old James phrasing. Right? It says, listen carefully. I like this version. This is the New American Standard. It says, and the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out. I like that. When the voice speaks, what do you do? Now, it's not like, <laughs> not like negative fear. It denotes reverential respect and honor that you are called. The King James says of the same verse, the doorposts or the thresholds. Now, I think literally of a doorpost. The doorposts moved at the voice of him that spoke. Think how powerful this is. Take another reference, Tanya. All these verses are only coming to me now. I don't know why God doesn't tell these things to me when I'm preparing. Okay. Uh, Psalm 29 is a very powerful chapter. Right? Right? The voice of the Lord is upon the waters, the voice of the Lord upon the deep, etc. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars of, of Lebanon, etc., etc. You will see the power of God's speaking. Okay? There. But I want to encourage you. Now, when God speaks to you, do you move? Do you shake? When God speaks to you, do you fear? Now listen carefully. If you are more, let me say it like this, you are more prone to disobey when you disesteem the voice. Reverence for the voice cultivates at, at an, uh, an environment and disposition of oh, obedience. If I honor and fear him who speaks, I will obey. The writer of the book of Hebrews, listen carefully, is speaking in, in a comparison in terms of God speaking through Old Testament voices, but now, well, then he only shook the earth, and now he'll shake the heavens and the earth. So right now, listen carefully. He says, the, the, the verse I want to underline to you is verse 25, do not refuse him. And in your notes, I put the Greek for refuse. It's, it's parateomai, which means to decline, to avoid, to shun, or to reject. It's a frightening word, eh? So when God speaks, you can shun his voice, avoid his voice. You can reject his voice. I want to encourage us here. You're going to hear me say this recurrently throughout the year. Do not refuse him who speaks. When God talking to you, don't fob it off. Don't shun it. Don't treat it lightheartedly. Treat it with serious respect. And this can come from clear commands from the, from, from the Logos when, when the Bible speaks to you. This, or respect that. Also, when the Holy Spirit nudges you to do certain things. You know, in life, He will lead you to engage in... Don't fob His voice off. Especially when he, like I said on Sunday, when he calls you to offer up your Isaac. Hmm? Fear for, for his voice causes me to oh, obey. Look at Acts 7, verse 30. When 40 years had passed, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in a bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. This is Moses. Look at Moses, eh? Moses saw it and he marveled at the sight as he drew near to observe the voice of the Lord came to him. I like that. The voice of the Lord came to him saying, I am the Lord. I'm going to speak like God would speak, okay? Try and dramatize this. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Yes, Moses responds. And Moses did what? Sure, he's never heard a voice like this. 
Moses trembles at the voice that he heard. And you know, there's much in God speaking. Eh? God is stressing the fact that he's a generational God. Right? Moses, all of my speakings to you now are built up on speakings three generations before you. Let me just say this. Aren't we privileged to be alive now in this, gen- in this time? We are hearing things. Jesus said that the prophets long to hear. That prophets wish they were alive in our time. And if Moses feared based upon the compactness of speaking from three generations before him, how much more should we? Hmm? That's why I don't take like attendance at schools or conferences. I don't treat that lightheartedly. I know I'm positioning myself under the speaking of the Lord. I'm going to receive download compressed over a time span that's a rhema word fresh for me in my generation. So I fear. I, I'm trying to model to you, and I hope I do so, as a leader, as your leader. Whatever I hear, I treat seriously. I take notes. I compile manuals. I keep it for myself and for others. Why? I value what I've heard. If I did not value what I heard, wouldn't, I wouldn't even um, take a thought about getting the CDs, taking the time to type things out. Right? You know why I do all of that? I'm preserving a posterity for the next generation. Amen? Imagine if our kids could imbibe the past few apostolic schools. Right? God can come to them like he did to Moses and said, based on all that I did in previous generations, you are now ready to hear my fresh command in terms of I'm going to deal through you to your generation based upon three generations of my dealings. So don't, I think for this generation, the Bible says in Acts 16 of David, he served his, what? Generation. He served his generation by the will of the Lord. Randolph has got a certain mandate in my time for the short life that I have on the earth. If I abort, if I do not fulfill my mandate, it means there's a gap in God's economy. God must now work and raise up somebody to, for, to serve generational purposes in a time frame right and i want to encourage you don't you leave a gap tell you don't leave a gap please do not leave a gap by not doing your part in your time but to do that you're going to have to position yourself and please circle the word tremble fear when god speaks to you serve your generation by god's purposes because you are one that when he came to you i mean if this command um, to Moses, if he fobbed it off, guess what? There was 40 years of training down the line here at stake, at least. Hey? Remember 40 years under Egypt, 40 years under Jethro, 40 years leading. Moses died at 120. His life could be broken up into three spans of 40 year periods. Do you remember even after the 80 years? Remember after 80 years, 40, Egypt, 40 under Jethro, his father-in-law, when he was on his way to deliver Israel, God met him to do what to him? That's a frightening verse. And the Lord God met him to kill him. I would like that meeting with the Lord. <laughs> right? Why would God waste 80 years of time preparing a man? God, you know, God is never in a hurry. Eh? 
I like what I almost said recently, or somebody says it. Uh, somebody was, I think Matthew was playing a CD. I don't know, I've got this phrase in my mind. I think it was Stamo who said, when you live in timelessness, time is not an issue for you. Only we humans are bound by a time frame, a time awareness. So God spends 80 years preparing a man to deliver his people from Israel and goes to meet the man to kill him. Why? He forgot to circumcise him and his sons. Hmm? If you, that's why I say, be careful to obey. Moses slipped up and he, he neglected what in his mind was a minor thing. I hear the word of the Lord saying to us, don't neglect even those minor things. Because you could have bought years of preparation that God has had in your life up to now. And you are just at that point where things are about to take off. You're about to deliver the nation of Israel, the thing you were born for. And yet, God meets you to stop the process. Thank God for Zipporah, Moses' wife. She said, hey, you are, what she said? You are husband of blood to me or something. You're a groom of blood to me. <laughs> and she circumcised, reminded him of the process, and the, the sons were circumcised. Plan of the Lord saved. Amen. I hear the, Lord of the, the word of the Lord saying to us tonight, be careful. Remember the verse we read in, in the first verse? Be careful to observe every one of the commands. Amen. Don't um, be, don't excel in your obedience in one area. In the other area, you're neglecting it so, so badly. Seek to bring completion to all areas of your life. Amen? Excel. Let's go on. Isaiah 66. This verse I really, really like. Right? I really love this verse. This verse, please memorize it. Let it get it into your heart, your mind, your soul, and your spirit. It says, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. Where then is a house that you can build for me? Where's the place that I might rest? For my hand has made all these things. Thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one will I look. To him who is humble, is of a contrite of spirit, and he who trembles at my word. The entirety of the heavens cannot contain God. Hey? God says, even no one can make a dwelling place for me, a house. But he says, listen carefully, even though the heavens cannot contain me, but who can contain me? Everyone say, Amen. Now please, if you get this, this one revelation, think of the comparison God is making. You're saying the heavens cannot contain me, but a man can. What kind of man? Humble, contrite, and very importantly, trembles at my word. When I speak, he holds it with such reverence. God is saying that is the kind of environment I will locate my dwelling in that man that has respect for my speaking. Amen? Tell your neighbor, you are the heaven of God. I don't want to go to heaven. Heaven lives in me. Heaven is not a goal to be pursued. Listen carefully. Heaven is not God's home. Heaven is God's throne. 
Nowhere in the Bible does it say heaven is God's home. Not one scripture. The Bible does say heaven is his throne, earth is his footstool. A throne is a place from which you expedite your will, your intentions. Therefore, listen carefully, if the throne that he speaks heaven here cannot contain him, but he says, Shulton, I can dwell in you if you humble, contrite, and obey my word. Guess what? You become the point from which God expedites his purposes in the earth. You become the throne of God in the earth. The church should be that. Amen? Don't have time to teach that. Uh, take the verse, take, take Genesis 28 down if you want to study it further. The entire, the entire thing where it says the church is the gate of the, of the heavens. The church. You and I are the church. We are the gateway. We are the gateway to the heavens. Amen? Everyone still happy? Amen? The word, the word. Do you tremble at God's word? Amen? Hebrews 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts when they provoked me as in the day of trial in the wilderness. When your fathers tried me by testing me, they saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, They always go astray. This is a frightening. I love the King James. You know, I learned King James growing up. So, the King James of this verse says, They always err in their hearts. E-R. Err means mess up. Go astray. This verse says, Not just sometimes, but God is like talking like, You hear the the tone of God here? God is saying, Not again. Oh, not again. Not another. Not now. Oh, 20. You did this in 2009. It's 23rd. Not again. Always erring, always messing up. What is the reason? Everyone say a hard heart. So you harden your heart. And the Bible says, when he speaks today, if you hear his voice, do not harden his heart. Because if that's the culture you live in, guess what? You will always go astray. Not just sometimes, all the time. Amen? Now it says, and... Now, look at, please underline in verse 9. They saw my works. This is the reason why manifestations are not in and of themselves, have the ability to change people's natures. Manifestations works without ways. If you're only, because the Bible says all these guys saw his works, you can see every one of God's works and always go astray. What's the condition? A hardened heart. Right? Now, let's just read this quickly. It says, Therefore I was angry with this generation. And said, They always go astray in their heart. They did not know my ways. Right? As, as I swore in my anger, my wrath, they will not enter my rest. Take care. Right? You should put the Deuteronomy 8 verse 1. Be careful to obey. Take care, brothers. Brethren, that there be not any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the, from the, from the living God. Right? A couple of things here, just quickly, the first dot there. Just, just quickly, where it says today, I put in your notes, indicates the necessity to respond quickly and appropriately to God speaking. Today, if you hear His voice, do not. 
harden. So immediate obedience. Uh, do not postpone or delay your obedience. When we did the series on, on obedience here, yeah, I think two years ago or so at this church, we did a whole section on delayed obedience. Remember Massa in the Old Testament, how he delayed in terms of the instructions given to him and he suffered death by the roadside, remember? So don't postpone, do it promptly. Quickness of obedience. First dot. They were unduly focused on his works, performance, to the neglect of his ways or his principles. And thus they never transitioned from being dependent upon a manifestation of God to seeking and being governed by God's principles. Listen carefully. I strongly believe we are in a season where we're going to see the manifestation of God big time. We're going to start to see the miraculous like we've never seen before. I'm talking about this local household here. I said this to you on Sunday, that Jesus was known for both his words of wisdom and his mighty acts. Not so? Words of wisdom and mighty acts. But where you only have the powerful demonstrations of God in view, you see them, you're privy to them, you're experiencing them in your life, and you do not have as a fundamental basis in your life, an understanding of his ways. What you see in terms of his demonstrations will be insufficient enough to teach you commitment and obedience to him, but you will always go astray in your heart. Why? Because in the absence of his works, you need his ways to sustain you. Because when God does not do anything, then you are floundering. Let me tell you this right now. Make a bold statement to you. I do not need to see another miracle from God. I will obey Him big time. I don't need God to demonstrate anyway some performance in my life to, for me to be committed to Him. What have I learned? I've learned, and my desire is to prioritize learning His ways above His works. Guess what? When you know His ways, you get His works. Check the verse out. Listen carefully. Before we go there, um, go to the next page quickly. At the bottom of the next of page four, I've got the ways versus works. Right? Ways versus works. Israel knew his works. But Moses knew God's ways. That's from 103 verse 7 at the bottom. He made known his ways to Moses, but his acts or his works to the sons of Israel. So here is, listen carefully to where I'm trying to get at. Please hear my heart. God is leading this group somewhere very, very powerful in terms of how we operate. Yes, God. Yes, Moses, and yes, Israel. They both know him, but they know him by different mediums. The one only knows him for what he does. The other, Moses, knows what makes him tick internally, knows his ways, knows his principles. Moses does not need works. Israel, when they're in uh, trouble, they say, take us back to Egypt, where you brought us out of Egypt in the desert too die. They want a manifestation. That's why God said to them in Deuteronomy, I, I put you through the test. I humbled you. I made you hungry to 
see whether you will obey my voice. Because he who obeys my voice is fixated on knowing my ways. What do you prioritize? Who needs a miracle in your life? Who's waiting for the next manifestation? Okay, pick your hands up. Come on. I know some of you are in need. You're waiting for some demonstration of the Lord, right? And how will that alter your state? How will that alter your state? Let's say tonight, right? Before each of you leaves here, I stand at the door and I each give you uh, 100,000 rand each. Just for coming to the Bible study. Just feel like blessing you. Fiona, 100 for you. Sean, 100 for you. Joash, your family got 300,000 tonight. <laughs> okay. Jaden's here also. Okay. So, okay. 400,000. Do you know what? It'll, it'll, you'll feel different, right? And I want to challenge you now. Why, why wait to feel different because of a manifestation from God? Why become dependent upon a performance for you to change? And maybe for some of us, if the breakthrough happens tonight, I guarantee you it will, it will either encourage or discourage. I'll show you just now commitment to God. Right? And I'm saying we've got to live above the external dimension. Whether God blesses me or not is not the issue. Bless me, I know He will. But my frame of function, my frame of reference is I want to know His person, want to know His being, want to know His ways above His works. Because there's always, as we've read in Deuteronomy, the subtle temptation for when he does bless, for you to forget the Lord your God. And you forget him by being disobedient because seeking after his works, you've never learned his ways. Read the Gospels. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. With this in mind. Lord Jesus, let me see how you operate. Let me see how you talk to Pharisees, talk to your disciples. Let me see your leadership style. Let me see how you operate with the general populace. All I want to do in my reading, I just, I'm not looking for any blessing. I just want to know you. I want to know what makes you tick. I want to learn principles by which you function. I want to study you. Study the Bible with that in view. Right? Tell you never get to know his ways. Get to know his ways. Let's just finish this and we'll break quickly. Time seems to run away, especially at Esam nights. <laughs> the Bible says they, uh, the next dot there on page, the bottom of page three, they always go astray in their heart. Now, the word go astray, now they always go astray. They've hardened their hearts, fixated upon the works of the Lord, haven't learned God's ways, right? Because of a hardened heart. And they go astray. The word is planeo, which means to cause to wonder, to lead astray, to deceive or to, to err. It has reference to those who through deception and seduction. Now, just those two words, eh? If, if, if I say to someone, the lady seduced the man, you automatically would conclude he didn't want to go through it in the first place. His, his, his will was against it, but the power of seduction was so forceful, he fell. Right? The word is used. Deception also. If I say, I deceived him into it. Means he wasn't initially inclined to it, but through a process of deception, 
and seduction was lured away, and now he finds himself in that domain. Okay? Now, this, these are the thoughts of the word planio. It means to deceive, to cause, to wander away. And I want to encourage the house. Please, I, I speak to Randolph myself tonight. Randolph, be careful. You think you are strong spiritually. Think you are fine. But be careful of the power of deception. To lure you away, away to a place of disobedience. I'm saying this to all of us. You can't get away from these two words. Be careful to obey. Right? Take care. Take thought. Right? Be careful. Now, you leave an ordained path and you wander into error. He who shows disdain for God speaking opens himself to other voices, satanic suggestions, intent upon derailing him from God's, from God's will. Don't go astray in your heart. And then the Bible says they do so because they developed a hardened heart. Okay? Do not harden your heart. The word is kleros, which means to be dry, literally. Right? That which lacks moisture. Hope your heart is full of moisture. Moisture, the word of the Lord, eh? So rough and disagreeable to touch. <laughs> Have you ever? I bought some sandpaper today. Because this labor is going to sandpaper that pole outside. And you touch sandpaper, it's disagreeable to touch. Who loves sandpaper here? <laughs> it's, it's rough, right? That's the image where the Bible says you have a hard heart. Your heart is disagreeable. It lacks moisture, lacks supple softness, right? It's, it's hard, right? Harns, harsh, sturge, or hard. Now, this speaks of, like I said in the notes, underlying stiff nakedness and a refusal to adjust. Stiff nakedness and a refusal to adjust. Now, if you're like that, you disesteem God speaking, and you become stiff-necked, you don't want to bend because you disesteem the voice of him that speaks, listen carefully, you're not seeking to know his ways. All you want is the next breakthrough, the next quick fix from God to come your way. Right? You develop a hardness of hearing. And, listen carefully to the next scripture, Hebrews 1, uh, Hebrews 2 verse 1. For this reason, underline these words again, pay closer attention. can't believe how this is coming through so strongly tonight. I hadn't planned for it. I just see this now. Be careful. Every detail obey. Take heed to obey. It says, the writer of the book of Hebrews says here, pay closer attention to what we've heard so that we do not drift eh, away from it. Who's ever gone sailing? No sailorman here. No, I think, hey, Bruce, I mean, he's gone. next Bruce meeting, we're going sailing. Right, guys? Old style, not modern boats, old style. Sail and we go. See where we land up. <laughs> Hope most of you got some navigational skills here yeah? on the open seas. Now, listen carefully. If you drift in, 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 in a, on, a, on, a, on a boat at sea, the good, what they call that navigator on a, on a ship, some official name? What? Skipper. Is it a skipper? I think it's skipper. Yeah, the one who navigates the course and charts. That guy. Right? Drifting is described as a process of slightly, not, not, it's imperceptible. Imperceptible, you don't notice. 
You can't really notice I'm drifting. You only notice you've drifted after a long period of drifting. You say, what on earth are we doing here? We should have been there. Right? So it's marginal error. Right? Pastor Paul always give us this analogy. Error, he would constantly say to us, error extended over a period of time becomes error magnified. The little thing you neglect, you do neglect it, neglect it, neglect it, and you've been neglecting it for the past two, three years. Then you say, what on earth you stand with your wife? How did our family land up here? Why are we experiencing things we are experiencing? It was subtle, little neglect over an extended period of time. So the writer of the book of Hebrews has this in mind. He says, let us not let these commandments slip by and we, we drift away from them. But we must give the more earnest heed, closer attention to the things that we have heard, lest we let them slip. Okay? Tell your neighbor, don't drift. Don't drift. I have much to say about that, but let, let's get back to Deuteronomy 8. That all was like was a side road. That's all in a side. Let's get, get back to the text. I said all of that to say, do not refuse him who speaks. Don't disesteem his voice. He is forgotten when his word is disobeyed. And you let things slip. You don't give them closer attention and you find yourself in the wrong position. Now, verse 12, just go back to it, page 1 says, Otherwise, when you are eaten and you are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, when your herds and your flocks multiply, your silver and gold, etc., your heart becomes proud, right? So, God has blessed you. Listen carefully. What is more easily prone to pride when you experience the blessing of the Lord as an expression of His bountiful work in your life, but you have not cemented an understanding of His ways through His Word, right? It is dangerous for the blessing to come to one that does not know the ways of God. Say it again. It is dangerous. That's why God's coming withholds things until you've proven ready to handle the magnitude of what He wants to bless you. Because God, by His Word, knows the subtlety of blessing. Because when you are blessed, you forget. Right? When you are blessed, then you suddenly start to drop on a few principles. Right? Disregard for God's Word makes one susceptible, prone to pride and trust in one's own sufficiency and ingenuity to the total dishonor or regard for, for, for God. Let's go to verse, verse 19 and, and 20. You'll see this, how that the ultimate, uh, God literally says to them right at the bottom of what we've just read, you will perish like other nations. Why? Because you did not listen to the voice of the Lord, your, your God. You will also perish with them. The ultimate consequence of total forsaking of the true God in pursuit of other foreign gods that ends in spiritual, ends in spiritual death. End in spiritual death. Who in the Bible, those of you who did ABC should know this, who in the Bible experienced the blessing of God in the Old Testament? And when he was proud and the Lord usually blessed him, and then he thought all of his own ingenuity had got him this. And when he was strong, pride filled his heart, 
Then his fall started. It says it very clearly. Which king? Uzziah. King Uzziah. Right? It says, when he became strong, pride filled his heart. Remember he built cities. He built sophisticated war implements in his day. He was like a war genius. He, he brought reformation to the warfare of his day, etc. And he says, as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. But when he became strong, in his own eyes, he started to attribute the blessing of God to his endeavors. Forget the Lord your God. Stop seeking God. And from that moment on, his demise started. When he runs into the temple to burn incense, as Rai the high priest chases him out, right? Leprosy breaks out from his head to his toe. And what does the Isaiah say in Isaiah chapter 6? In the year that king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. It's like this principle, listen carefully, this king Uzziah principle that always forgets God when they are blessed has a tendency to block prophetic sight. When that principle dies, king Uzziah dies, your eyes start to see. You start to see more. Let me read that paragraph before we close the session. It is obvious in the above verses, there exists the possibility of coming into bountiful provision and contentment in having all physical needs met because of the gracious providence of God. And yet, because of this very fact, because God blessed you, because God broke through, be seduced away from God to foreign gods. This will be the case if one is unestablished the priority of God's word as a fundamental principle in one's life. Seeking to live exclusively in the realm of having one's external needs and one satisfied without a deep internal desire to hear and obey his word is to be prone to deception and the eventual departure from the path of accuracy and prophetic performance. Right? You know, when I, when I look at our journey as a church, that's why God is to test us so strongly in the area of needs. He led you in the wilderness to test what's in your heart. Now that we are so fixated on him, his person, I really believe at the stage where the blessing of the Lord is going to be our portion. Can I just finish a section? Right? I don't want to break it and lose the impetus. Go to page five. At the top, the fulfillment of our personal needs is not a biblical target to be pursued. Please remember that. The quest for my needs, my wants being satisfied, must not become an obsessive objective that we're constantly praying about, constantly pursuing, that those thoughts constantly dominate our mind and our thinking. Right? It's not to be pursued. Right? All needs will be met as we seek first his kingdom, not so? And his righteousness. His kingdom, his righteousness. A focus on understanding his way of doing things. Not so much his works, but his ways. Not so much his performance, but his person. Okay? Seeking him. You can read some of this in your own time. I just want to get through the main things for where we... Where we, where we want to go. Now, 
Look at verse 1 and 2. This is what I want to really challenge us with. Because this is where I feel we are as a house. Deuteronomy 8, page 1 again. All the commandments I'm commanding you, careful to do them that you might live and multiply, etc. Verse 2. Remember the Lord your God, for he has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart. Underline this section, to know what was in your heart, whether you would obey his commandments or not. So really speaking then, Israel's 40-year wilderness journeys was one big test from God. He wanted to see what was in their hearts, to see whether or not they will obey the Lord, based upon this this the scripture, right? To test it. Now, let me just paraphrase what I wrote there, but we've got the heading verse 1 and 2 in my own words. Please pay attention. You can read that in your own time. Let me just say it in my own words. Remember God tested Abraham. Sacrifice your only son. Right? When Abraham demonstrated the fact that he wanted to go through with the act of obedience, God stopped him. What did God say to him? Now I know what's in your heart. My question is, isn't God all-knowing? Why must God put a man through a test to know what's in his heart when you are God? Right? Why did God come to Adam and ask Adam, where are you? Like, did God lose him somewhere? After this, God, Adam, Adam, where are you? Isn't God all-knowing? Those kinds of questions and issues in the scripture are not so much for God's sake as they are for our sake. That's the person in the, 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 the scenario. God was not, not, God was not wanting to know where Adam was because he knew exactly where he was geographically and spiritually. God was wanting Adam to know where he was in reference to himself because he did not know it. He thought it's business as usual. Although when he heard the Lord God, the, no, I didn't say he heard the sound. Say the sound. That's another thing we must look at. He heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the, in the garden. And he feared. For the first time, the issue of fear is part of human experience. Before this, fear wasn't a concept in Adam's thinking. He sinned, he fears. Why? Forgets God by disobeying his commandments. Adam woke up, and although he feared and knew that something is all right, drastically wrong, now I must engage the awesome presence with the deficient nature now. I fear, right? He thought all was well. But so when God asked him, where are you? God was wanting to make him realize where he was in reference to himself. So, Abraham, now I know what's in your heart. God was wanting to bring to Abraham a knowledge that God already knew about Abraham. Can you understand? God was wanting Abraham to know more than because he already knew. Do you know that God knew you from the beginning of time? Do you know, listen carefully, which way I'm going, please listen carefully. The Bible says in Ephesians, I was chosen in him, in Christ, before the foundations of the world. Even the lamb was crucified before the foundations of the world. When was Jesus crucified? Approximately 2,000 years ago. But in God's mind, he was crucified before even the world was made. Everything that happens in time is already in God's foreknowledge. 
So if he says to you, Vanola, do this like a test for your obedience. God already knows whether you're going to fall or fail in that area. He knows it before time. So I would think like this. Every then act, every opportunity to obey God is an opportunity for me to bring to the fore something that already exists in God's mind. It's an opportunity to demonstrate an eternal reality already set in place. And what do I do? I'm putting flesh on something predetermined. I cement that phase of my life. I cover it and I position myself for the, for the next. Think about it like this. Every test of obedience is an opportunity for you not only to put the nature of God on display, but for you to flesh out things that God has already determined and knows about you from before time began. And he does so, so that you come to an awareness. Because he is already aware. Now I know, not that I know, I want you to know what you are capable of. I want you to know what possibilities exist in you, Abraham. Think about this. Does any normal human being kill his firstborn son? No. God was going to do it one day, even before the world began. He already sacrificed the lamb. Now there's a human being on the earth expressing something that is so akin to the nature of God in the earth. Abraham was willing to do it, but in doing it, he comes to a place of authority in that area. Every time you obey, you become authoritative in the area of your obedience. And you demonstrate something so like God. And I wrote it in your notes here. Jules sent this word thought the other day. It, was, it blessed me so much. Where is it here? Yeah, somewhere. On page 6. Obedience to the word is an opportunity to partake of and demonstrate God's nature. Not so? Remember those, compare those two verses. Genesis 22, 12. God said to him, do not stretch out your hand against the lad. Do nothing for him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son. Now what does God, Paul say about God in Romans 8? God, who did not withhold his own, the, not, the withholding, the not withholding of a son was something already planned in God's mind for his own son. Now a man on the earth demonstrates something that is akin to the core quality of God's nature. Right? Tell your neighbor you can obey. Come on, tell someone. You can do it. I, you know, every time you do it, it's like he knows. Now you know. I've just obeyed a difficult command. Not only are you compliant, but like he's... Um, this, Isaac was the first fruit, not so. Because although it was Ishmael, Isaac was a seed of promise. Isaac was the giving up of a, like a kind of first offering. Abraham, by his example, establishes a pattern for giving up of firstborn sons throughout the scriptures. Right? The greatest example being the giving of Jesus himself. Your obedience has got more to do with your immediacy. You're setting prophetic patterns for your future. Right? Setting prophetic patterns for your future. And let me just quickly, just quickly speak prophetically to you, Bruce. Lots of things that you can study and read in your 
own time. Okay? Um, remember that Isaac, um, the Lord revealed himself as Jehovah Jireh. Right? And we, on Sunday we said Isaac was privy to this. Abram came down the mountain, remember it says? Implying that the lad stayed up. Right? What was Isaac relishing? Man, probably yeah, I'm alive, number one. <laughs> okay. I'm alive. But I was just privy to a profound aspect of not works. Listen carefully. The lamb was there caught by its horns in the thicket. There was the works of God put on display. Miraculous breakthrough. But more than the works, Isaac and Abraham came here with knowledge of the person. The revelation of Jehovah Jireh was hidden for all that time in human history. At a point in time, listen carefully to where I'm going. At a point in human history. Not to Adam, not to Enoch, not to Caleb, to nobody else before him was this dynamic of God known to men. One man's act of obedience causes God to peel back the onion, if you will. Peel back the, the, the veil and show men who this aspect of his nature. The nature is the Lord will provide Jehovah Jireh. Your obedience can unlock aspects of God's nature to you in your time that nobody else has seen before you. I just feel, I'm, not, I'm speaking prophetically, I just feel this company is at that point. Nobody knows all that there is to know of God that has already been revealed. God is far bigger than all we know. And I just feel, yes, we are blessed by the Lamb. Thank God for the provision. But if you're living in that economy, if that's what you have, if, let me ask you this, but now to explain this to you. If coming down the mountain, who's left at the base? Those two lads, remember? Now they must give a report. What do you think, or, or, or picture Isaac, the next day after the soccer game with the guys, sitting around some coke. Chaps, let me tell you what happened yesterday. My bully took me up the mountain. He tied me. He took a knife. He wanted to offer me to the Lord. A voice from heaven said, Abram, Abram, stop. Now I know what's in your heart. Hey, we open our eyes. Chaps, we see this ram caught in the thicket. And then we hear this phrase, the Lord will provide Jehovah Jireh. What was foremost in Isaac's mind? The act of provision or the revelation of nature? You know why we know that? Jules sent this word thought today. I was blessed by it. Because in Isaac's life, every act of obedience, like we said last week, causes you to imbibe the nature of God. What you see of God, you become. Tell number, you are the word. Every aspect of God's nature you see because of your obedience to the word, you become. So Isaac became Jehovah Jireh. That's why this man never ever knew lack throughout his whole life. Isaac never once prayed, God, give me, give me, give me, provide, provide, provide. Why? A nature of God was internalized in his heart. This man could sow in the seasons of famine and in the same year reap a hundredfold. He lived in the atmosphere of provision. Right? Not once. That he wane in this area. Let me encourage you. Lisa, what's your 
What's foremost on your mind right now in reference to God? Is it, Lord, that breakthrough, that breakthrough? Right? Do you know what's happening there? All of us. I'm asking myself, land off, what is the subject of your thoughts in reference to God as you sleep? What will be the focus of your prayer? I want to encourage us all. May we pray this, God, that I might know you. Because once I get a revelation of an aspect of your nature, that's going to sustain me through any experience. Any experience. That's why I wrote on my BB status today. I am the supply of God. Tell your neighbor you are the supply. You are the provision. Because if he is provider and he has, you have his nature through your acts of obedience, then you become the conduit of supply. Amen. You are the supply of God. Amen. <laughs> okay, quickly, quickly, let's just finish this. I can't get away from this thought. Can't get away from it. Amen. We had an urgent need yesterday and today. And I acted like it was well taken care of. Well taken care of. And God broke through powerfully. And when God broke through this afternoon, I said, I wasn't even phased. It was like, you know, I can only carry on. I carry on this business as usual. That one, praise God. Yes, what, what are we doing now? Why? why? Why do I function like that? I'm telling myself I am the provision of God. The supply of God flows in me. So, um, I'm not surprised when God provides. Why? It's who I am. Who he is has become my nature now. So when breakthroughs happen, I just say, this is part of life now. Hmm? This is part of my existence now. Can you all become the supply of God? Not, remember, uh, uh, William Hinn said this to us at his conference at Queensborough. Remember he said, he said this exact phrase, don't seek to get things from God, you become the supply of God. And I never fully understood what he said until now. Hmm? After studying Abraham. Amen? Tenzel, you are the supply of God. Wherever you are, things can happen in your world. If you live obediently, the nature of God becomes yours, power of God flows through you. I want everybody here, don't be anxious about your needs. God's going to take care of every need. Promise you that. Amen? Come on, say amen or something. Amen. God's going to supply all your needs. Become the supply of God. Amen. Okay, let's, let's leave all that. Now it gets to some technical things. That was the encouragement, the prophetic. Now let's get back to the apostolic laying down of principles. Amen. I try to veer between two positions. I'm a teacher at heart and I want to stay there. I want to veer from my calling. Go to page 7, and we'll just quickly round this up. What I want to speak to you about quickly, in, in 20 minutes, then we'll dismiss. Uh, we'll still have tea and some juice we'll be prepared at the back. If you want to hang out, just have a brief fellowship before we dismiss. It'll be good. Amen. Um, say every word. Now, this is where I'm at. Um, the Bible says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. Not just by some words, every word. Now, look at Second Corinthians, sorry, Second Timothy 3.16, it says, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. That's a nice someone for someone to build up, the benefits of the scriptures. Right? It's profitable, it does the following. It reproves, it corrects, it trains in how to be practically righteous. The scriptures do all of that. What are some of the scriptures? It says, 
Everyone say all scripture. Deuteronomy 8 verse 1, we read now all these commands, right? Not some of them, all scripture. And the word for inspired is theo. Anything theo, theo means God, right? Theo fustos, I think. Theo fustos means divinely breathed in. If I do this, if I breathe in, that's the impression of inspired. The words, all scripture, are God breathed is the literal translation. God breathed. They come forth from the breath of God. That's why Jesus said, the words I speak, they are what? Spirit. The Greek word for spirit is ruach, which means breath set in motion. All scripture is God breathed. Okay? The words, there's it got there. Spirit is, is puma, which is a current of air. Right? A breath or a blast. The Word of God has the life of God in them. I want to encourage you with this. It's not cold letters you're reading in a book. These are the very spirit and life of God in your hands that you have, Joach. When you read your Bible, you say, this is God's breath, God's spirit. Uh, that's why Jesus said, uh, for example, the words I speak are spirit. So, repeat after me. Words are spirit. You want a spirit experience, have a word experience. Words are spirit. Now listen carefully. Romans says, if you live, if you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of a flesh. So if you walk in the word, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Because the word and spirit are one. The words I speak are spirit and they are, and they are life. Amen. One cannot have a substantial spirit dimension without a rich word component. Right? Rich word component. This is powerfully depicted in the Genesis account. I said this to you last week as well. Remember? Right? God said, and the spirit of the Lord moved over the deep. Look at Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20. Peter says, Now I know first of all that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own private interpreter. For no prophecy was ever made as an act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So no one in the old covenant spoke based upon their own human will. But whenever they spoke, Peter says, they were moved by the Spirit of the Lord giving them utterance. So the entirety of the Old Testament especially, which we tend to neglect the Old Testament, prophets spoke as they were moved by the mouth of the Lord. Okay? Now, I want to talk briefly about the value of the Old Testament. Because we need all Scripture, not some Scripture. Who loves the Old Testament? I do very much. Love the stories. Love the drama. <laughs> you can extract a lot of principles from there. Dr. Segi has uh, really accentuated my love for the Old Testament. To doing the ABC because it's really just welled up so many issues there. But let's just talk about this quickly. When Paul wrote, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, what scripture was he referring to? He did not have the New Testament. He probably had some access to oral records of the Gospels, because Luke was with him, remember, in prison, coming to see him in the book of Timothy. right? So he had access to all that Jesus did and said. But apart from that, the New Testament wasn't even written when Paul said, all scripture is given by inspiration. 
So he's probably having in his mind a large part of the Old Testament, right? Reasonable. Amen? So tell your neighbor, the Old Testament is inspired. Old Testament is inspired. Next time you curl up with Leviticus on your couch. <laughs> this is the inspired. Those of those books we don't like, Liri, Obadiah. Right? <laughs> so you don't know there is a book called Obadiah in the Old Testament. Right? Nahum. The book of Nahum. That short book. It deals with Nineveh. How you were sent there. This is drama played, and I'll show you why God painstakingly recorded some history for us in how he dealt with Israel. Let's just quickly do this. When Jesus walked with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, how did he demonstrate who he was to them? By reading the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. Remember? Let's read it, Luke 24, 27. Beginning with Moses... Now listen carefully, the, the Son of God Himself knew the Old Testament. If the Logos, the Word made flesh, knew the Old Covenant, how much more should you and I? Jesus, He started with Moses. And with all the prophets, He explained to them the things concerning Himself in what? In all the Scriptures. I just like this. Um, someone must find for me, there's a Google it somewhere, there's that thing where Jesus can be seen in every book of the Bible. It says in Genesis, he was this in these verses. In Exodus, you can see the Son of God. Right? Jesus, Jesus explained to these two on the road to the, to the Emmaus, uh, he explained himself from all the scriptures. You can find the Son of God in the Old Testament. Verse 44 to 47. He said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. In all things which were written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, they must be fulfilled. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. What scriptures? The law, the prophets, the Psalms. Who loves the Psalms? I do, right? Psalms has been my focus throughout my youth growing up. Right? You can see my first Bible. The Psalms were mostly there. You can see it by the writings in the, the book of Psalms. You know why I love the Psalms? They give a man's personal subjective experience of truth. You see what a man privately is going through and how he writes and how he interacts with his God. Right? It's, really, it's some powerful lessons there for, for us. Amen. Now, turn over the page. Look at this interesting scripture. Romans 15.4 says, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. Do you know the Old Testament was written for you? Paul was convinced. All 39 books, he says, he's saying here, yeah, I'm paraphrasing, all 39 books were simply recorded for our admonition or for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. I love that phrase, the encouragement of the scriptures. The Old Testament is huge encouragement for us. Now, here's the verse I really want to get to. Let's take our time, next 15 minutes before we close, and look at 1 Corinthians 10, from verses 1 to 11. This is the New King James rendering. It says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that our forefathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses, in the cloud and in the sea, 
all ate the same spiritual food, all drank. You should be underlining all the alls. All passed, all were baptized, all ate, all drank. They drank the spirit from the spiritual rock that followed them. That rock was Christ. Just for the sake of the youth here, just the youth, the guys, Jewish and company here, bear in mind, this verse says, the rock that Israel drank. Remember the water came from the rock. This verse is telling us that rock was who? Christ. Right? So when you read the Old Testament, and you, you're reading this, and you see Moses hit the rock, and water flows, in your mind, now it's, Paul said everything written was written for us. So if they're having a natural experience, thirst, hit the rock, the water flows. Paul is saying you can look at that story, and the rock there you see as Christ. And the Bible says that rock followed them throughout the wilderness. Remember the second time you were supposed to? Speak to the rock. The second time they were thirsty, but he hit the rock. Right? And Paul sometimes will use that to say, don't again trample underfoot the blood of Christ. He was crucified, hit once. Right? Not again. Next time you speak and water, which depicts the Holy Spirit, flows. Calvary before Pentecost. Lots of principles in there. Okay? Now, okay, this was a little sidetrack. But with most of them, I just, I just like this contrast. All drank, all ate, all baptized, but with most of them, I'm not happy. Do you know that you can all be part of an experience and God can be satisf- dissatisfied with most of you? There's a frightening verse right here. Yeah, lessons to learn about the old covenant how God dealt with Israel. God said they were blessed to such a degree. You know why they knew my works? Did not know my ways. They always went astray. Never entered my rest. God says I wasn't happy with them. Now what, what does Paul say? Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Yes, verse 6. All these things became our examples. You should highlight that word examples. To the intent that we should not lust after evil things like they lusted. Deal with lust. Lust here is a simple, the, the word in the Greek means excessive craving, right? Uh, allurements. It doesn't imply only sexual lust. It can be anything. Lust for food, lust for power, ambition, which, whichever. Right? Do not lust as they did of the evil things. Do not become idolaters as some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play. That's taken from when Moses came down the mountain and he saw the revelry. Remember he got so angry he broke the commandments, right? So there was this unbridled, undisciplined lifestyle in Israel. Right? They always err. Uh, they lust exceedingly in the wilderness. Nor let us, now it's them, 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 all of them. Now he's saying, Paul says, let us not commit, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23 thousand fell nor let us tempt christ the rock as some of them also tempted and they were destroyed by serpents don't let us complain tell your never no more complaints i'm gonna start a series i'm dying to get into it but we'll do it maybe towards the end of this year do not complain is the title of the series i just, just awakened my heart's been waking to this thing about 
Murmur is the Old Testament word for it. Murmur or complaint. Murmur is also a medical term. Give you a heart attack, these things. <laughs> Don't complain. Now, Paul is, 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 is covering like a wide range of sins. He's saying, don't commit sexual immorality. Don't lust. Don't complain. Don't tempt Christ as some of them and they were destroyed. Yes, verse 11. Listen carefully. All these things happen to them as examples. When Moses came down the mountain, we were having a sexual orgy. Read the Old Testament carefully. Look at the Hebrew words. It was sexual perversion going on around the golden calf. Moses got angry. So, Paul is saying, everything that happened there happened with us in mind. He says, no, let us do it. Now, here is what I really want to stress. Happened to them as examples that they were written for our what? Our admonition. Here is the phrase I want to leave you with. Upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Paul in his day was convinced, in my time, the ages are going to climax. God's will is going to push to finish. He lived in expectation of that. See the Amplified. Look down. The Amplified says, I love this. Now these things befell them by way of a figure, an example, and a warning to us. They were written to admonish us and to fit us right for action by good instruction. We in whose days the ages have reached their climax. The end of the ages have come upon you. Find a neighbor quickly and tell him this. The end of the ages have come upon you. Tell your neighbor, upon you the ages reach their climax. Paul was saying, they lived like many hundreds of years before us. And God did all that he did with them for our warning, for our admonition. So he's saying, let us not mess up where they messed up. Because there's such huge responsibility attendant with us. Because on us, on this generation, God's purposes are about to reach a climatic finale. The end of the ages, I especially believe, have come upon our young people. Jordan, we will see you do some things that we're not doing right now. Because God's purposes are pushing in your generation, pushing to finality. All the young people here, you're going to do marvelous things. Liam, you will do marvelous things for the Lord. Those of us who are 40 and over, <laughs> put your hands up. <laughs> we have a responsibility to serve. I like this, the phrasing. You serve your generation. You might not be the one to climax anything, but you make certain that in your time you serve your generation for what they want to do. God has in store for them. Amen. Think about when you leave here and, you, and you're walking out the gate, Nolene, you're walking, you're going home, and you, you're living your life in the week. You must say to yourself, all of you do this tomorrow morning. Say to yourself daily, God's end time program has just come upon me. I'm living in a day called the finalization of God's climatic 
purposes. I'm, I'm, everything is reaching boiling point in my time. I cannot afford to mess up now. But you know what? To keep that, you cannot ignore the Old Testament. To live like that, Paul says, therefore study. For example, if, if you ever think of rebellion, just say you think of rebellion, and you know Korah, you, you repeat that quickly, eh? <laughs> how God dealt with Korah. Hmm? If you ever think of complaint, and you think of how God dealt with uh, Miriam, I prepared an extensive thing on Miriam, on complaining. You think of complaint, you think of Miriam, okay, God, I repent. You look at the case study, everyone say tupos. The word example, quickly and I'll finish. The word for example, yeah, where it says, whatever, recall, whatever happened to Israel happened for our example. That word example is tupos. Now, please, I've got a little extract from the complete word study dictionary here. But um, don't focus too much on it. It's lovely. The images here make for, for, for very interesting study. Just at the bottom of the page. The first error serves as a type of the second. However, the outline of the archetype of the model of some reality was yet to appear. That was called the tupos. So... If Israel was the example, all God's saying is they're the model, the archetype. They were the construct, but it says they were not the reality. The reality is still to appear, which is you and I. They were the, I don't know what word to use, case study, if you would, to depict a greater, to depict a greater reality. Thank God you weren't the case study. (laughs) You are, listen carefully, we should all, even Paul used this to Timothy. He says, Timothy, use me as your tupos. Right? Because if someone is the standard, the framework, what they will always produce a greater reality beyond the example. So we will always produce a greater result beyond Israel, natural Israel. Amen? Now let's just finish this up. To demonstrate how Paul loved the Old Testament. Paul used Abraham's life to teach and demonstrate the principle of faith. The whole of Romans 4, this Paul is writing vociferously. Read it before you sleep tonight. Abraham, every second, and our father Abraham, and he did this, and Abraham and Abraham. Right? So Paul, as an apostle, knew the Old Testament. In his epistles, he quoted frequently. Right? Jesus himself, I won't read the, the scriptures, in Matthew 5, it says, did not come to destroy the law and the prophets. He says, I don't think I'm here to oppose the Old Testament to the Pharisees, but I've come to demonstrate to you how to fulfill it. I haven't come to destroy it, but to fulfill it. I love John 5. Look at John 5, 46 says, you have believed Moses. If you believe Moses, you would have believed me. For he wrote about me. I like that, eh? But you do not believe his writings. How will you believe my words? It's like you want New Testament words of Jesus, but you neglect Moses. You don't believe him. How are you going to believe me? Hmm? Can you see the value of the Old Testament that people like Jesus and Paul functioned with? Hmm? I want to encourage you. Leave here tonight. Say all scripture. I'm going to be careful to obey all scripture. And I'm saying to us, us upon whom the end of the ages have come. If we neglect the study of the example, we will fall like they fell. And 
for our purposes here, we will eat provision. Baptized in, in many experiences. Drink. Provisional drink from the hand of the Lord. Be privy to great works of God. Yet always go astray in our hearts. Because we haven't learned His ways. Second Peter says, okay, let's leave that because of time. Say proceeding word. Let's just finish up with this. Like I said early on, uh, in Deuteronomy 8, speaks about the proceeding word. You'll also find this in Matthew 4. Jesus quotes this to Satan. Man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds. Proceeds. The Hebrew proceeding is motza motza. Nice. Eh? It simply means a going forth and egress, something emitting, eh? something exiting. Now it's like current flow of word from the mouth of the Lord. The current speaking, the, the now word of the Lord. Peter says this in 2 Peter 1.12. For this reason I would not be negligent to remind you always of these things, even though, even though you know and are established in the Present truth. Here's a good verse for repetition. You say something, you must repeat it like Dr. Segi says. Because repetition is the mother of learning. Peter's arguing, even though you know them, I will not be negligent as a preacher. I will keep putting you in remembrance of them so that you can be what? Say established. And this is where I really want us to be, church. Especially those of you that come. Many of you are coming here week after week. You're faithful. We should not have the need to address and repeat certain things. Why? Because of obedience. Right? You only ever need to... Listen, let me rephrase it. You only ever need to repeat when someone's not established in the truth. Right? I don't need another Bible study on first fruits. I don't need another Bible study on tithes. Why? If I'm, and how do I demonstrate understanding? By obeying. If I become established in the truth, then I don't wane in my own. In my obedience. But this is where I want all of us to be. The truth that presently comes to us, as somebody says, I like that, that phrasing. Present truth is the truth that presently is coming to you. Proceeding, egressing from the mouth of God to you. Become established in that. Becoming established in that prepares you for the next wave of truth that God wants to present to you. Until such time as you become established, like Peter says, we will always have the need for us as preachers not to be negligent, but to remind you of certain truth that you need to become cemented, fixated in, and well established. Tell your neighbor, do not forget the Lord your God. Come on, tell someone, apart from the neighbor you've just spoken to now. Do not forget the Lord your God. That is why I think it was David who said this, in my prosperity, what did David say? I will not be moved. In my prosperity, when you bless me, it will not unseat me. Hmm? So I want to encourage you. I am living in a place called the end of the ages have come upon you. I live every day seriously now. 
focused, doing things, not, not, not one day is wasted, preparing at some level for the next phase of God's dealings uh, with us. Amen? And I want to encourage you, live. Say live. live. Remember what we said last week? Tell someone like you mean it, live. <laughs> live by bread. Not by bread alone, but by every word. You're not, you're dead. You're the living dead. If you don't have exposure to the entirety of the scripture. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now I've got an assignment for you. Okay. I told you no test in this series. It's purely motivational, exhortational, instructional, enriching, build you up. But at the end of every lesson now, there's a series of questions and issues for your own discussion. I want to encourage you, talk about them, or at least rehearse them in your own mind. Make certain you're able to answer these things. But one exercise I want you to do, verse, uh, verse number six. In 176 verses, the psalmist in Psalm 119 expresses his delight for God's word and also expresses its power and benefits. Psalm 119 is largely a reference to the first five books of the Bible. Whoever wrote the psalm, we don't know for sure, expresses his deep love for God's word. And by all accounts, he probably had only access to the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Yet he pours out his love for the first five books. You and I have 66. How many verses can you write? This guy wrote 100. When he thought of what impact the Old Testament Torah had on his life, he starts to write of the impact in his life. And he writes for 176 verses. Imagine that. Darrell, I would like a poem from you, the poem, poem, poet here, of your love for God's word. Amen? Quinton would like a song. Liam would like a piece of art. What are you good at? How can you express your love for God's word? Write something. Can I ask you to do that? Jared? Jared? Somehow express your love of God's word. Do a drawing, say a poem, a rhyme, something. How much you love the Bible. Okay? Here's the instruction. Quickly. Read this psalm slowly and meditatively over the next 10 days. Noting, number one, every varied expression of delight in or love for the word. When you read the psalm, he expresses his love in various ways, using different phrases. Also note the different effects or benefits of the word. Also note different ways, phrases or terms in which the word of God itself is described. Calls it laws, statutes, precepts, ordinances. And possibly what do these various things mean? Spend some time on each reading, thinking and praising God for His powerful word. Just go there briefly. Just read one thing, then we'll close. Psalm 119. I was tempted to print this out for you, but I decided then against it. Psalm 119, put it like a little book form and you do your thing. But I want you to engage. What I've done is, because I work electronically, in my, on my thing, I've color-coded my things. So like wherever I see a yellow in Psalm 119, now it's purifying effects of God's word. How God's word will cleanse me. Whenever I see like a, a pink or a red in Psalm 119, now the psalmist is expressing his love for God's word. And see how he phrases it. You can, you can use whatever system you want, color code your things or whichever. But 
Um, I've always read Psalm 119 over the years. Always. Now, how many times I've read it over? Recently, I've been churning it over and over again. It's powerfully encouraging. Do you know what the Bible says of Jesus? He led himself out from the Psalms. And he showed himself to his disciples. The Psalm, don't neglect the Old Testament. Would you do this? You're going to do it? Yes? Come on and say yes. <laughs> yes, sir. Okay. Amen. I want to encourage you. Isn't the word of God enriching? Amen. The word of God's life to all who find them and health to all of their flesh. Amen.